everybody to another episode of the Story Podcast. As turkey season wraps up in most states, me and Ruben are going to break down our 2023 turkey seasons. Each season brings new challenges, and it's how we adapt and overcome those obstacles is how we learn and grow as hunters. We talk about how we learn from our own adversity and also share nostalgic memories made in 2023, chasing beer draggers. Ooh, yeah. You got yours cracked? Well, you didn't count down to three, two, one. That's why I didn't crack it. Oh, shit. <laughs> We've been gone for a while here on the Story Podcast. Um, so you got plenty of time. I guess life's been busy. But um, what have well, you had lately that is fun to share with everybody? Um, wild game wise, men meal wise. You just saw me finishing it before we started yeah. recording. Yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> well, that's a um, pozole. I think that's how you pronounce it. Pozole. Uh, it's, a, it's a Mexican dish, I think. Um, and basically, you use the legs and wings from uh, turkey or other game birds. That one had uh, one turkey leg, both a drumstick and a thigh and two turkey wings and then just threw a couple of uh pheasant legs in there too and basically what you do is you start out with the thawed meat and the the turkey leg you're going to want to break into a thigh and a drumstick otherwise it's too big for a frying pan basically get a frying pan hot throw some oil in it salt and pepper those pieces of meat brown them in there and throw them in the crock pot while you know they're in the crock pot staying warm you don't have anything else in the crock pot yet then keep your pan hot throw in a a whole chopped white onion and uh, about four or five cloves of garlic sliced up and some cumin and oregano cook that until the onions all nice and soft and clear and then you uh, throw that on top of the meat that's in there, along with two jars of salsa verde, two cans of diced green chilies, and a big can or two smaller cans of hominy, which is like a, I don't even know what it is, kind of like corn, but not really. It's like softer. In a can, or how do you Yeah, get it's that? in a can. It's in okay. a can. It's, uh, it's like some type of like grain. Okay. And um, apparently they eat that in Mexico. I've never had it before. I tried this recipe. And then uh, and then you throw some broth in there just to make it the consistency you want. Mix it all up and you just keep that on low in the slow cooker for about uh, 10 hours. And then you take out the pieces of meat and uh, shred it all off the legs and throw it back in there. And um, mix it all up and you eat it with... Sour cream, cilantro, chopped jalapeno, lime, and maybe some tortilla chips. And I'll tell you, I don't think I've ever made that dish for somebody who didn't think it was fantastic. Yeah, that seems good. Uh, yeah, that's why I feel like the benefit of like keeping your wings and legs... I mean, the legs are pretty easy to break apart from a turkey and pheasant, but that wing meat, there's a lot of meat there. I mean, people might say otherwise, it might be a pain in the butt, but I mean, it's just that joint 
you could take that off, skin that, and you get a substantial amount of meat off of. I don't. I don't understand. Part. I don't understand why people don't keep those because, like, literally, if you shoot, if you shoot a quail, I mean, how much meat do you get off of that? Less than you get off of turkey wings. Mm-hmm. You're already cleaning the bird. You already got your knife dirty. I mean, yeah. the most annoying part yeah. to me is the the most annoying part to me is the very end. You got to cut off the very end joint, and then you got to kind of use your knife to scrape off, you know, where the feathers connect, the primary feathers yeah. connect. It's yeah. a little annoying, but I mean, like, it takes an extra five minutes, and then you get as much meat as if you shot. I don't know, bigger than bigger than a quail, I would think, off of both yeah. of those wings shredded. So it's yeah. like if you're if you're gonna make a shredded dish with your legs or whatever, like take the wings too. It adds you know four ounces of meat or so. Yep, yep, for sure. Uh, hominy is a milled corn. There you go. Yep, there you go. That's like the um, carb in it, you know, because everything else is it, not carbs. Yep, total big time carb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can eat and, so and much fiber. of that stuff. I can eat so much mm-hmm. of it too. It's like. It's kind of like chili where it's like, I don't know, it just your stomach can take a lot of it and it tastes so good, you just keep eating it. <laughs> Be bloated afterwards though, but. <laughs> I, I don't know, that it doesn't, chili, yeah, but not not this stuff. Okay. It sits well. Yeah. But, what yeah, I mean, we'll keep it in the turkey family. That's what I had too, um, pretty much this week was uh, one of my favorite wild turkey recipes. Why I look forward to shooting turkeys is a wild turkey cordon bleu. Um, yeah, so pretty much that step one is pretty much, I think the basis of any wild game meal is cleaning your wild game good. Make sure there's no tendons and all that because if you leave some of those tendons and are lazy about it, it'll be, you know, a little chewy. But so here, clean up the breast. I cut it into, I think, six different sections. There's actually a tendon that strips right down the middle of the breast. And you could take that out, cut that strip that you took out into two strips, and then cut the rest into uh, four different strips. And so cut them to equal parts, roughly, and pounded it out thin. And then I put my ham, and I did Munster cheese. I have did a bunch of cheeses, try to find which one's the best cooking. I don't know what the best high temperature cheese is, but Munster, I feel like was kind of my favorite now. So I put that in, put the Munster and ham on top, rolled it up into a ball, took a toothpick, um, put it through. And then I had a, a wash, an egg wash, a flour, pepper, pepper and salt bath. And then also the quick way to do it is Italian panko. It has all the oregano, all that stuff in it, because there's other things you can add all that into your regular panko, but I think the quicker way is just to get Italian panko. So what I did first was I egged it, flour bathed it, and then I was going to put it in that panko mix, which had butter in too, melted butter, but it didn't stick very well, so I had to do the double double egg wash with that. So I egg washed, flour, egg wash and that buttered panko. And another thing with that panko, you could get away by just doing dry panko and then doing a butter spray on top. I think that would give, it's just kind of to give it that brownness. But so I did that, made them all pretty, put them on a cookie sheet, 30 minutes. 
um, and at, at or to 165. 30 minutes was pretty true on that. 165. I feel like with turkey, you got to watch that thermometer because um, if you overcook it, you know everybody says turkey's dry. Um, it's going to dry it out. But another little thing while that's cooking for that 30 minutes is I made a sauce for it. Would forgive you if you overcooked it. But that sauce was pretty much, um, let's see, butter, flour, milk, Dijon mustard, and then Parmesan cheese I melted in there. And I cooked all that down and I served it over the top of that. And holy cow, I've never eaten stuff so fast because that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's one of my favorite dishes in the world. And I actually, a fun fact, I did that with regular store-bought chicken. And my girlfriend's pretty picky. And I did turkey, wild turkey, did it that same way. And chicken, did it that same way. And she wanted the turkey more than the uh, the chicken. Just because the chicken, I feel like, is mild, maybe falls apart, not as much texture to it. And the wild turkey um, cordon bleu is good. I'm going to have to try that. Also, I'm going to have to try the Munster. Because I don't think I've actually had Munster cheese in like 10 years. I used to eat that when I was a kid, like for... Uh for school lunches literally yeah. the sandwich would just be bread two slices of monster cheese mayonnaise <laughs> and bread <laughs> uh, hey that sounds like that Good. sounds like a very wisconsin sandwich right there mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah monster cheese creamy i feel like it fits amazing with that dish i mean i tried swiss swiss gouda all sorts of stuff that monster is yeah is the bee's knees i'll have to try that out yeah, when did you make that? That was uh, before I came and uh, saw you last weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all I... had uh, one of the reasons we haven't been on here in a while is we all had a wedding to attend in old southeastern Minnesota last weekend. Uh, Matt Hogan and Kirsten, now Hogan, Hogan, yeah, got married, and we were like. We we know a lot of people there, a lot of my high school childhood friends, and I think that you know most of them probably through me, kind of, and then now you live with totally. all of them. So mm. it was a big, long weekend of partying and celebrating and um, showing my girlfriend what the Midwest is like. She's never been there. A lot of uh, cultural what, things. What were what were her thoughts, actually, when she got stripped away from there and you two alone, What did, did she say anything about the Midwest? Um, she said that people talk a lot, uh, but that uh, that's probably she's just more of a kind of like keeps herself a little bit. So it's yeah. just like a lot, even though I thought she did great with all of us. Totally. Um, I think she kept she kept talking and all that. Um, it was more like the public situations where it was like anybody will come up to you and start talking about anything <laughs> for a long time. But she said that she thinks that she's never been anywhere where people are genuinely nice like that. Like this and genuinely the nicest place she's been like other places, people talking to you in public or whatever are just kind of like formality and polite and stuff. But like, yeah, it's different when you go somewhere and someone really actually wants to know about your interior home decorating, and whatnot, <laughs> you know, it's like people or, or like when we were at the gas station and a stranger at the pump just says, you look really good in that shirt. I'm like, Oh, People just being nice, but That's um, a great compliment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think she really enjoyed it. But so yeah, we were on that. That took up a long time because I was in the wedding, so yep. got in on Thursday and pretty much didn't have any time to do much until uh, left on Monday. Um, 
And before that, we were both very busy. I just moved. If you if you all see any of the videos from this podcast, my background right now is a little bit different. I'm currently in the loft space in the new townhome. I got a roommate and we got a nicer townhome here. Um, so that took up a lot of my time along with uh, fisheries surveys very intense in the spring i you know work in fisheries so so does ryan and um ryan's more on the hatchery side i'm more on the field management side that's one thing before you get into it's like i feel like a lot of people don't see you know we're in a career that you don't get paid a lot of money and stuff like that but you are very passionate and you're willing to give up time and you are dedicated to that resource that you are managing and and I mean, you're busy doing that, especially now. Yeah. And the spring is a real busy time because well, were you uh, were you trucking fish out or are you spawning in the spring? So, yeah, we we were trucking a lot of fish out. So, yeah. you know, we're hauling fish constantly in the spring since we're in Minnesota. It gets warm quick. Um, water temperatures down cool. We got to move fish really quickly in the spring before now in the summer, June. It's already pretty much 60 degrees in some of these spots. So, um, in yeah, we got to move fish. Yep. Yep. Water temperature wise. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And we're coming from 48 degrees. So we got to, and if people yeah. know trout, they can't really live above 70. So, um, you got to put them in and they, they got to be able to be yeah. able to get down and out of that heat. So they also don't take temperature swings real well. Yep. So, yeah, I'm trying agreed. to stock close to what the water temp is, and you, you probably mitigate it quite a bit when you get to the yep. lake. Yep, um, tempering and stuff. Yeah. yeah, but what are you guys doing as as managers? I guess in the spring? well, in the, in the spring, for multiple reasons, we do a lot of lake um, lake surveys, which involve netting, and uh, it's because you know a lot of fish are active, and it's also uh, before people really start getting out in the lakes with boats and recreating. So, you know, there's a fine line between hitting, you know, the best time to do a good survey, but also, you know, trying to stay out of people's way because you're, you know, trying to manage fishery for people to enjoy and recreate. And it's kind of, you know, getting in people's way with a bunch of nets set out in the lake. Not really, not really a good look, even though sometimes it's unavoidable depending on what your project is. And then we're also doing some um, surveys on the boats with uh, electricity and we do those now just because the river conditions are good because they're not clear yet and they're a little higher. So it pushes fish to the sides of the river and they can't see through the clear water as well. See the boat coming. Yeah. So that's, that's when we do those surveys. So yeah, I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off the last month. Cause I moved on May 5th and we're working 50 hour weeks, you know, and which, you know, would be fine normally, but if you're coming back to have to keep unpacking or doing this or that and closing up your other place and cleaning it and, and weddings, moving, and traveling weddings and, yeah. and hunting. It, yep. Hunting. Definitely. Definitely. I guess it wouldn't be nearly as stressful to do these things if I didn't have to hunt, but I have to hunt. So the yeah. weekends get taken up. So, yeah, I mean, I would do a bunch of turkey hunting and a little bit of bear hunting. What have you been up to in the last, uh, since we, since we talked? Before we get into the turkey stuff, do we want to dabble into some of the float in the root river? Or well, yeah, I think, I think that's something that's interesting. I mean, we always talk about what we're doing lately, hunting and stuff, but, uh, we did a non-hunting thing. Um, 
what what was it the friday before the wedding um me and my girlfriend maddie uh were staying at ryan's and he was like well i've got three kayaks why don't we go and float the float the river down the way and you know maybe we could also cut out the name of it if you really want to well i I don't think so because i mean you know that i i live in southeastern minnesota so Root River's an 80-mile stretch that flows through that area that dumps into the Mississippi. And it's it's mainly not so much managed for fisheries. You know, I work out of, out of the areas where they manage that. But it's mostly um, a recreational river. Um, through the whole stretch, there's campgrounds throughout the whole stretch that you can float, stop, float, stop all the way to Mississippi. You could probably go down the Mississippi to who knows where from there if you really wanted to, but, um, uh, Southeastern Minnesota is that part of the state where the glacier never hit. So it's very, um, washed out cavernous, um, uh, bluff type country. And I'm like, it would be great for you guys to see type of this, this type of river. And, um, we had some high flows early. It was clearing up and I'm like, it's a perfect time to, go float some of the river and see what it has a has to offer but there's 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 a lot of stuff in there you know there's everything from in certain reaches i guess it's all different there's your brown trout come in there i'm sure in the winter and all that when flows are low um you got smallies all in there um and then you got shovel nose sturgeon you got uh flathead channel or flathead cat catfish and a bunch of suckers, all that sorts of stuff. It's kind of cool because those systems like that are very temperature dependent. So fish move as temperatures increase and decrease, go back to the Mississippi or go into the headwaters of the trout streams if they're trout and stuff. So it's kind of an interesting river with that. Um, floated, um, yeah, any uh, southeastern stream before? Um, Yeah, actually... Uh, I wouldn't call it floating. Uh, Matt and I motored up from the main channel in the Mississippi up into one of the trips to uh, smallmouth fish. Um, yeah. So, like, I've been up in some of those tributaries, but never kayaked them like we did. And and not that far away from the Mississippi. I mean, I don't know how many yeah. river miles we were above it, but I would reckon quite a few. I, I would imagine, you know, 30, 40, we're still a ways away. At, well, whatever, yeah. Yeah, but no, it was great. I mean, it kind of reminded me a little bit, actually, of um, some uh, rivers down in Indiana, believe it or not. There's some pockets down there that are limestone and kind of like, you know, the northern, like, you know, northern shield and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. uh, the substrate's the same. You have some bluffs like that. And they're actually more like box canyons sometimes down there. Um, But... Yeah, it was great. It was really good scenery. We were there at a perfect time too, where everything just had leafed out, and there's yeah. a lot of flowers blooming and stuff. And uh, saw some wildlife. What we see: eagles, beavers, um, geese. So we 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 floated it um, two days after you guys did, <laughs> and I was thinking to you, because right where I was thinking, I'm like, I bet you any money turkeys come to this cliff and fly off. A hen flew off right there oh, <laughs> into really? the other into the other side in the field, and I'm like. Shoot, I wish Ruben was here. <laughs> was that on that big bend where we? Yeah, that big bend. Yeah. Yep, yeah, that big sand hill. Yeah. Yeah, but no, it was great. And Maddie said that was the highlight of the weekend for her. 
which wow. is great. She likes floating. I hope she also likes Everybody people, needs but... a little relaxation. That's Well, the thing too about it is um, I feel like people underappreciate that in the Midwest uh, that we have a lot of decently large rivers that you can float and we didn't see another person on the water the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were right behind us probably like, you know, but like you, there, there, there wasn't because I took the bike up back to the parking lot. There was no one up there. Yeah. And I mean, that was on a, well, it wasn't a Friday. Friday yeah. But um, here in, you know, Missoula and the surrounding area, if you're going to float on a river, you're going to be, you know, sharing beers with people. Like it's just going to be people up and down the river on tubes and stuff. And I mean, unless you get to like a permitted area where you're only allowed a certain number of rafts and stuff, like there'll be people cruising through throughout the day, if not yeah. like thick, like you could walk across tubes downtown on like a July afternoon. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's a really unique thing we have in the Midwest is, and it's because we have a lot of water. I mean, like out here, you know, the major rivers are about the same discharge as like a lot of like the medium sized rivers back in the Midwest. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, like the river we were on is a medium, small, to medium size. Well, small to medium. medium sized river. Yeah. Medium sized river. But yeah. yeah. But I mean, in the same same with the river up north that we can go and fish on, it's like to not see a person on there all day of floating on a river of that size. That's like kind of unheard of around here, mm-hmm. like, unless it's like a super hard, rugged place to access or something. But yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was great. It was it was a good uh, little sampler of the Midwest for her, I think got got the floating in, got the drinking in, got the talking in. <laughs> <laughs> The, the Midwestern culture. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's good. Um, but before that, I guess going back, um, before that you guys were going to go off and, uh, go bear hunting, right? Yeah. You and so, your friend. I guess we can talk a little bit about that. We're, we're trying to get into talking about the turkeys on the, on the most part here, but yeah. Um, one of my friends, he's never shot a black bear before, and we were trying to go back to where you and I went, same spot. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been a very, very early warm spring so far this year. And when you came last year, it was a later spring. So last year, honestly, we were there in the middle of May, second week of May. But I feel like last year might be kind of, as far as the vegetation and the snow line goes, that might normally be more like the last week of April or the first week of May. And then this year, with how accelerated it is, we went about the same time. I think we went like five days later than when you and I went. And it's pretty much like it was pretty much like June out there already. It was like two weeks ahead. So if you look at that vegetation wise and kind did of you see the- a lot of other wildlife, elk and all that still in there? Or? Oh yeah, we did. Yeah. Hmm. Um but veg if you think about it vegetation yeah. wise, if we were a week earlier or or the spring was later. So it was like we were a week earlier in vegetation when we went. And then when I went with Caleb, we were like two weeks later than normal. We were almost a month apart on what the conditions were. And it was 80 degrees. Ooh. And actually also there was a bunch of smoke from those Alberta fires that blew in. Yeah. Yeah. So we had lots of food at any elevation, hot temperatures, and, and the first day, the smoke actually did affect our glassing. Like, we couldn't really see well past 800 yards. So, um, we ended up not seeing a single bear. <laughs> and uh, Not a lot see, of sign either. 
Uh, I think they were, I think they were all on the bottoms, but yeah, we didn't see, like we were walking on the hillside where you got yours and we didn't really see, um, a lot of bear scat or anything like that. I can't tell if it's cause it just kind of like desecrates with the environment and plants are growing up and you just don't see it. Or if they really weren't up there recently in the bottom, when we were walking in right below camp hill, we saw two fresh piles walking in and we're like, that's gotta be within a day or two. And then mm-hmm. walking out, there was one that was pretty much still steaming when we were walking out right in the same spot. So if we had to adjust our tactics, I would have said we would have had to sit right on that point where Camp Hill was, about 150 feet elevation above that alder bottom, and look at that north slope and the timber and just hope that he came a little bit out yeah. of that bottom. But it'd be really tough with the wind. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be swirling. Yeah. So it was it was a pretty tough uh pretty tough bear hunt but prior to that right before we went on the bear hunt (laughs) we shot a turkey (laughs) and it was the fastest turkey hunt uh i think i've ever been a part of basically went back to a spot where i shot one three weeks earlier got up high on a road called down he barely heard one went down there cut the distance in half gobbled back then we got down there as a wide open area with a one little last pitch and we called and all of a sudden there are two birds coming at us gobbling and we just set set back up on that pitch. It's wide open. So I went 30 yards behind Caleb and he kind of, you know, was at the very last spot where you couldn't see over. And like, if you could see over, it was going to be like 200 yards of wide open. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came in thundering. And I just saw him, that both of them came in. I saw him like moving a shotgun right or left because he didn't know which one was going to get. Were, were they kind of like jogging? Yeah, <laughs> they were doing the whole jogging. Like, jogging and then stop to half strut and then jog. <laughs> nice. And, um, and so, yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm watching him and then he locked on one and boom, dead. And I think from start to finish, when we first heard those turkeys, probably 15 minutes earlier. It was yeah, great. That... <laughs> That's what happens I, well, in late May. I, I was just going to say, I think there's something to be said about like later seasons. You know, three weeks in, everybody goes first one and two weeks. Third week, maybe a month in, everybody kind of gives up and those turkeys start becoming turkeys. And then also hens are all laying. So they're desperate for anybody that's actually not um, sitting on their nest right now. So, and they, one thing I've seen is I feel like they have their rotation. Their their um their little home range that was like this and around their hens, you know, tiny little home range in the spring has now gotten bigger because they're ranging a lot farther to try to get any tail that is still ready to breed, you know. Yep, that's exactly what I would say. And it's a lot easier to pull them off of a flock because they yeah. might be with a flock of hens, but but that those were those had hens. You could hear hens calling down there. Yeah. But they kind of know what's up at that point, and um, I think it's combination. Caleb was saying this too, and Caleb knows a, a lot about turkeys. That guy's from Nebraska, and oh, he yeah. grew up hunting a lot of turkeys. But he thinks like, yes, a lot of the hens are already bred. That even though they're with hens, they know the they know all the birds, and they know mm-hmm. which ones uh, have a nest, and um, and also. Caleb kind of thinks too that if they've been strutting and gobbling all season, it's like coming up to two months that they've been doing that. They might just get impatient and be like, 
this was working early <laughs> season, but now I'm sitting in one spot strutting goblin and I'm not getting hens to come over. Time to like, if you hear an opportunity and especially because if you're coming from somewhere else with your pot call or your diaphragm call, you probably sound like a new hen. So they're probably mm-hmm. like, where'd that one come from? And race over there, you know? Yeah. And that, that, that happens more to me after like May 10th. That's yeah. like when that stuff really it, starts to pop. In Montana. Well, and I guess anywhere we're kind of about the same. Yeah, I think, um, well, you're about the same latitude. So yeah, I think yeah. that's photo period for the most part. Yeah. Weather yeah. does play into it a little bit, but I think it's photo period. Yeah, I agree. But, so yeah, we're going to, there was a little taster there, but I think we're going to recap our last turkey hunts. I'm not going to count Caleb's because I was calling. That wasn't. That wasn't yeah, what was, there was another one you took one of your uh, co-workers out, right? <sighs> yeah. Um, you want me to go into that first? You want to talk about your deal over there in Wisconsin? I guess, yeah, I'll, I'll jet into mine and then you can, you can hit on that. But, but basically we're going to tell <laughs> the stories yes. of our, our, <laughs> our last hunts during our last successful hunts during the uh, 2023 turkey seasons. And then we're going to maybe break down, touch on like things we learned from all the hunts. Cause you guys have already heard totally some of the other birds that we've killed on different episodes, but um, we're going to tell you the recent ones you haven't heard. And then we're going to go through and like maybe do a little point on each bird about what did you learn or like, or not like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like earlier, before we got talking about other things, um, my goal the whole season, I, I really wanted to hunt Minnesota. You're only allowed one Tom in Minnesota. And I wanted to go back to my home state, home state of Wisconsin and try to shoot a bird. Um, and re- like to recap, I've never shot a single turkey in the state of Wisconsin ever in my life. I went turkey hunting, but I remember I was like 13 years old and my dad gave me a recurve. And I'm like we should, I should bring the recurve along. Right. And we went out and sat in a blind and I just shot squirrels the whole time. (laughs) So as you could uh, see, I wasn't very successful. I just shot a bunch of squirrels. My dad had fun. We had fun, but, um, so I'm like, I, I'm going to go shoot a turkey in Wisconsin, hopefully. So with all the stocking and stuff with work, I'm like, I might not be able to, um, actually get out. And finally, um, we got a lot of our fish out and I mean, due to temperatures and stuff like that, we actually got pulled back because all our aerial stocks got moved back, back. Um, so I'm like, I got 40 hours to go to Wisconsin to try to shoot a bird. And I'm like, I'm going to run there, buy a tag. I bought a tag over the counter. Um, and I was going to go try to shoot a bird. And I was talking to a buddy of mine he has a decent amount of land i've never hunted before i've actually hunted once but it was goose and that was my first ever goose i shot off of that property or in early episodes you can hear about that but um i was talking to him and then my father i set a camera out on this pinch point it's kind of a a sanding area where they like to sit in the sun and stuff like that there's also green there's alfalfa there to go through this pinch point to this roost area. So I set a camera out there. My dad was watching it for me. And um, the best sign was my buddy's property. So he's like, 
a guy actually stopped over yesterday and asked if he could go hunt that property. And I'm, and I'm like, what'd you say? <laughs> Cause I mean, I didn't totally for sure tell him I was going to be there. And he's like, yeah, I told him no, I had another guy hunting. I'm like, okay, good, sweet. <laughs> so, so I'm like, that's probably the spot to be, you know, if a random newcomer comes in and calls a landowner and tries to hunt, I'm going to go sit there. So I was looking at his property on, on it or on a mapping service and I just saw it was kind of a glacial moraine. So you imagine a bulldozer just flattening out a whole section and then all the hills on the outside is just one whole strip of rocks that piled up from the glacier pulling through. And so he's got pretty rolly rocky terrain and there was one feature where there was like islands, higher islands with these big silver maples and oaks that I remember where they roost and then they could travel this high edge all the way out to this corner of the field and the field was alfalfa and then the other side of the field was all tilled up and I'm like I don't really suppose they're going to be there I feel like they're going to be on this green so as I was walking out there I'm like yep I'm sure that's going to be the case so I was looking and there was actually a tower blind I walked in and actually just got up in the tower blind I hit one call I hit one one call and I jumped up in and I was getting my camera all set up and three minutes, three to five minutes later, cause I was still getting my camera set up and I was going through like, where do I shoot? Where do I swing my shotgun? What if he comes out here? Um, going th through the scenarios and all of a sudden two long beards right there. And I'm like, Oh shit, two long beards just walking underneath. So both of them come in, boom, shoot the first one. The other one just hangs out. And I was watching him. And then every time that turkey would flap, um, he would like kind of run around and like, what's going on to my buddy? Or do I want to attack him or something like that? And then all of a sudden these four Jakes come in and I'm like, all right, we still got birds around. I'm going to go take care of this one. And I went back and had a beer with my grandmother and kind of celebrated my first bird, even though it was bang, bang. Um, was kind of a cool little moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really work. I didn't really work for it, but it was a cool family moment. My dad was happy and all this stuff. And um, then my dad's like, you know, you can buy another tag. I'm like, what? And so I went online, looked at Wisconsin DNR and I'm like, what's how many, what's your bag limit? And it pretty much says if you can buy an authorized harvest tag, I think it's worded. Um, you can shoot another turkey. So as a non-resident, you pay all the stamp, you pay the hunting and all that stuff. You can go buy another $15 authorized harvest tag and go buy, shoot another turkey. So I'm like, all right, that time was just hanging out. I'm like, game on, let's shoot another bird. So I went online, bought another turkey, uh, a permit. And then that morning I didn't go out probably because I was drinking with granny. But um, uh, <laughs> I dealt with my bird, cleaned it out, everything. And then I went out in the evening to that same spot. I actually went, I'm like, screw the tower blind. I should have just sat in the tower blind, but screw that blind. I'm going to go out and just rove around. And so I was sitting and I saw two bearded hens. And then also that Tom that I, that was with that other Tom. Um, he actually cruised on the outskirts of that tower blind and me. And I actually called at him once and he, boom, he just poked up and was looking. 
And then he was kept walking, feeding, and then I called one more time, and he did not like that, and he just kind of walked fast around me and kept going. And I'm like, all right, he didn't like his buddy dying yesterday, so I'm gonna jump back in and kind of go where they were roosting and stuff like that. So I went back in, and holy crap, man! I I lived in Utah for years, and coming back here, the mosquitoes. I was not ready. <laughs> it was 90 degrees. And I was in all my merino wool light stuff, and they were just biting through my my uh, stuff. I sprayed down even, and it was just terrible. And I lasted at least three and a half hours. And I'm enough of this shit. I saw another hen come in, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm going home. <laughs> Screw this crap. So I went home, and I went and got my beefier camo. It's warmer, but I'm like at least it's going to protect me from mosquito bites. I'm going to spray <laughs> down get a whole face mask, all this stuff in. And so my dad's like, go out to uh, our family property. So uh, the plan was to go out to this property. And um, I have that camera set up, like I said earlier, in that little sanding spot. There's green feed. Our neighbors got oats and rye in his food plots. And they've been seeing them consistently there. But I don't think no one's been hunting them on both of these properties. So um, I'm like, if it happens, I've seen him multiple times being 12 to 13, 14 years old that they've roosted in these trees. So I'm going to just mosey up into this roosting area and just call and sit. So I thought not even to wear shoes. I had my boots and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to bring the killer moccasins. I had a feeling. I I had a feeling. I'm like, I don't have to walk only a mile or so. If I have to, at most, you know, it's getting dark. I'm going to bring the killer moccasins. I'm just going to keep the moccasins on. I feel like they're good luck nostalgia for me. So I walk up there, moccasins and all. And um, I'm like, I'm going to walk to the top of the hill and send off a call. So I called nothing i'm like i better call one more time (laughs) and just gobbled back and i'm like boom they're in the corner of that field they're like knowing the property you can locate a gobble just like a gobbler locates you you know hey hold on a second so yeah maddie i'm watching maddie's dog newt and he loses his shit when someone makes a hen call he's starting to whine down there he might start howling in a second oh he's really (laughs) Uh, yeah he like nice. he, he can't he can't handle it. I don't know if he was a turkey in the past life or what, but like <laughs> when I hang and that that gives me a little check on how many hen calls I do around Maddie because he will literally start howling and barking for like uncontrollably. Oh, poor off thing. of one little hen call. But we'll see if he does it again. Maybe I can uh, get him to do it at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, continue. So send out one more gobble ripped off. And knowing the property, like I said, I located him just like he would locate me if I when I called. So um, I'm like, he's going to come through this funnel point that we have. So we have a road, like I said in earlier episodes when I first started hunting. This is a wetland bottom. We have like black ash wetland type stuff. And there's a culvert under this road and it kind of just flows through. It's a big boggy bottom. So turkeys i don't think really want to walk through that stuff so they're literally funneled through one road where we have filled that air and put a culvert so 
they go through that. And then there's um, big old uh, red maples and um, hemlocks on the edge of that black ash that has not leafed out yet. So it's kind of an edge and on a hill too. So I'm like, they're coming right to that. And so I set up on a food plot that I actually made when I was 16 years old with my grandfather's truck and ripped all, all these stumps and stuff. So I'm like, I'm going to cut right to this hedge. They're going to come down that road and they're, they're going to want up in here. They're going back to roost. So I set up moccasins and all and um, set up down the road and I saw them. I'm like, oh shit, they're right, they're right on that road, just strutting. And he was with multiple hens. So these, these toms come down the road, just putting on a show. I got so much damn film on those things, just strutting back and forth on that road. Natural strut zone. Um, and then those hens actually went off to my side and actually flew up in a tree. And I could see them about 30 yards from me sitting in the tree. How close was this to roost time? Oh shit! It was like seven forty-five, seven seven thirty. Like you still oh, that's got pretty early. I was gonna say you still got a lot of time because looking at the film, because what shooting hours like eight eight thirty or something like that. Shooting light is so they they went up early, and um, these times just kept dancing, dancing. And I'm like, I don't think they're gonna come in this food plot. They're gonna loop back around and go where this hen has went up. So um, all of a sudden. You see that, uh, what's their waddle, right? That dangles over. They're snood. The snood. Yeah, their yeah. snood was just dangling the whole time. I was watching kind of the film on uh, on my side here. And then all of a sudden you saw that snood. I've never seen it. It's it, it's the craziest thing. But it's dangling all of a sudden. Whoop, just kind of goes erect. And he starts walking. And he walks up that hill. And then he starts fanning again. And all of a sudden I see him. So I turn the camera. And then my gun, and I'm like, oh, he's he's 30 yards. Because I didn't feel comfortable with, like, it was like a 45, 50-yard shot. And, like, I yeah. would shoot that. But I'm like, you I still just didn't want to. Yep, still got the 10 gauge. And I'm like, I didn't want to miss because there was still brush in the way. I'm like. And there were other turkeys around. And right? there was that other Tom there, too. I'm like, I just don't, I just, I, I just didn't feel, I just didn't feel it in that. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going to get a better opportunity or these birds are going to go up. I'm going to roll out of here. I got moccasins. I could sneak out of here. No one's ever going to know I'm here. But he actually looped up around me. He, he's fanning, so I swung the gun slowly. He kind of poked up his head. Boom, shot him, folded him, and a uh, second-ever bird in Wisconsin <laughs> right there. Like less than t about 24 hours later, maybe a little 20, more? 20, exactly, 24 hours. I mean, in that earlier story, too, I got off of work at 3.30, drove – three hours to Wisconsin wow. set up in just a hair of time shot a bird. Cause I was just going to roost them. And then all of a sudden I got one and, but yeah, it, and right here, right here they are right in my back corner. Yeah. I, I saw that, that new Mount. We didn't see yeah. that when we were at, uh, we we're at your place last no, weekend. No, no. I got the double Turkey fan. I got the shape of Wisconsin right there. I got a 10 inch beard and a nine and a half right there. That's that's a good looking mount, good looking yeah. double mount. I should figure something out like that. I never thought of that. Yeah, I've got three, double or I've got, triple. I shoot like three turkeys a year here normally, and maybe I should just start doing that and do you like should, 2022, 2023, you know. It, That'd be it's, cool. it, it's easy because, I mean, you could do the state of Montana and then 
do the double because all I did is take a two by four and then make notches for each fan and then I slipped them in and then put a cover plate and put the you can make a different um thing for your uh beards but oh yeah that looks but, good looks but, good but there you are I mean not much effort but those mosquitoes I'll tell you <laughs> the skeets will get you <laughs> that was it but yeah, that's no yeah, joke let's... too, folks. We saw we saw when we were floating, Ryan was wearing a tank top and those mosquito bites on his arms, they had a hole. Yeah, that was oh. not fun. How was your other um how was your other uh turkey hunt? Yeah, so um with your coworker. After uh after I uh moved and shot that other turkey I talked about in the last episode where I missed the first shot and it jumped up and flew and I shot it out of the air like a pheasant. Um, probably went on a couple more hunts. I think I might have taken Maddie out once. Um, and then I was going to go, the last tag that I had, you have to go to um, Region 1 in Montana, which is the northwesternmost part of the state. They have a lot of turkeys. Um, it's just a little bit of a drive. So I, I went with a friend um, and uh, we drove out there to the spot that I've gone the last two years in a row. Gone on the same drainage and I have killed a turkey each time uh, in the same spot pretty much. And, um, and I always go to this same breakfast diner in the morning after I'm done killing turkeys. My turkey killing breakfast diner. Nice. So, can you uh, can you say the name or no? No. That, all right. No. Okay. Okay. This is a little tiny town, and okay. I hunt yep. these turkeys about five miles from that diner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so we went over there, and um, we uh, roll up, and it, I'm like, you know, oh, this is probably, you know, I see turkeys in here a lot, and I don't know why. It's really good habitat. There's a road going right through it. I don't know why we see, don't see more people hunting here. In fact, I've never seen anybody hunting there when I've gone there. And I, yeah. I wonder if it is a function of like the time. I always go there latest in this like early mid-May period. Um, I wonder if people around there either already shot their turkeys or give up by then. I don't know. But we roll over there, turn the corner, and sure enough, there's a tom right on the side of the hill, like right in front of the truck. Um, so we back up, get out of there. Oh, and uh, I wasn't quite sure if we were like far enough away from this turkey to be parking and getting out of the truck. Um, friend, uh, he uh, seems to think we were far enough, I guess. I don't know. But we went up there. <laughs> we, we couldn't get him to gobble. Uh, and I thought it was a little bit weird given the time of year and everything. But, you know, sometimes turkeys are in a mood that they don't want to gobble. He was just pecking yep. around on the hillside. So I think, don't they say something with the barometric pressure? Actually... I don't know if it's higher barometric pressure, increases gobbles, lower they don't, and stuff like that. There's a correlation between barometric pressure and stuff like that. I don't know, but normally but, when the sun's out, they're gobbling. Yeah, so kind of Anyways, a correlation. I don't know if that's right, but yeah. We, we we lost him for a second, and there's a road system in there that you can kind of like zigzag your way up. And I have found turkeys over a 1,000 foot elevation within a couple miles just like off of this road. And... Mm. So we go up and down and we come back down and I'm like, why don't we hop out here and get like, just actually like walk out to this point where I've roost, like, it's getting close to roost time. 
kind of like you, uh, we drove out there and I was kind of thinking we we're probably just going to try to locate some for the next morning. Yeah. And uh, we got out there and uh, we're walking around and I call and thing fires off like right below us. And this is kind of wide open, like tall canopy with, you know, Ponderosa. And then there's a few here or there regen and some bushes, but it's pretty wide open and on the slant of a hill. So it's, you can see a far ways. And I looked down and it's like 150 yards. There's the Tom and two hens right there. And oh crap. So we sat down and we we're watching them for a long time. And they were just pecking and feeding, pecking and feeding. I called a couple of times. He gobbled once more, but he was just kind of like, I mean, I call them actually quite a bit. And uh, it's probably different here in Montana. I feel like you can get away with calling at birds more than you can Easterns. I think if you call too much at Easterns in certain situations, they're going to they're gonna figure it out. But, like, I was watching the bird the whole time at 100 yards. So I could see his reaction to every call I made. And four out of five times, he didn't even acknowledge that I made a call. But then every once in a while, he would stop, put his head up, look around, maybe puff up a little bit. And then just go back to feeding. Kind of almost like he didn't really want to mess with it, but he couldn't help but like wonder what was going on. Yeah. So we sat there for half an hour with them pretty close. And then they worked off and we're like, all right, let's like get out of here while we can. Went a couple spots after that to try to roost one. We actually went over the saddle about a thousand feet up and called down like real loud on my slate to locate. And sure enough, here gobble way down there. And then it's getting close to dark, so we go to set up camp, and I'm like, okay, what do you want to do in the morning? And he's like, well, we know that one is, like, right here, the one that we were kind of caught with our pants down by. Yeah. That other one is way down and kind of on the private line. He could be over on private. They could have bird feeders. They could stay in that yard all day, whatever. I'm going to go for what's close. So we get up in the morning, walk down the road, literally from our campsite. We walked over to this spot um, because it's so close. And the thing's firing off before dawn on his own i'm like okay that's a good situation i normally don't hunt with the decoy but in this situation uh especially on public land but in this situation like i was saying it's like wide open and i just feel like once that turkey can see a certain distance and kind of know that he's he should be able to see where that sound's coming from like they kind of stop and strut or they think something's weird so i'm like all right let's get the hen decoy out I'm going to throw it down out in this opening. And now we're going to set up about 15 yards apart from each other on either side of the decoy, like, you know, a triangle, like both of us are facing the decoy, but it's to my left in front of me and it's to his right in front of him. It's just to widen the area in case he tries to skirt it. You know, we got like a much bigger kill zone now because we're 15 yards apart. So that just expanded like your, your circles of where you can shoot quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And so, I start calling a little bit and he starts thundering off to every single sound I make. So I kind of shut up, call again. You can, you can tell he's on the ground when that sound becomes quieter. Sometimes I wonder if people wonder what happened, but like when they're in the roost, obviously it's like direct line of sight. It's so loud when they're in the tree. And then when they yeah. fly down to the ground, it sounds a little quieter if there's any brush or anything. And you're like, Oh, he's moving away. It's like, no, he was just in a tree. Now he's on the ground. Yeah. And, <laughs> If he's still gobbling at you when he's on the ground, that's normally a good sign. And so, and then he starts working in, and I wouldn't say it was like, a, it wasn't a dead sprint by any means, but he was like coming in on a string, you know? And um, so I'm sitting there with my gun on my knee in a little brush, and I like can see just in front of the decoy, but I can't see the decoy. And, and um, he's to my left, 
uh, and I, I, you know, I look over and he's sitting there and he's like next to a tree. He's, he's holding his gun. And so I'm calling and this bird's coming in, working, working closer and closer and closer. I'm looking over at him and I'm like not seeing any indication that he's seen the bird yet, but I'm like, he's got to be able to see the bird because it's like wide open. It's getting closer and closer. Finally, I like started calling last because he's gobbling a bunch and he's real close. And finally, he comes into my line of sight at like 40 yards. And I'm like, oh, there he is right there. Okay. Um, and he's strutting and he comes in close. And then he's standing in front of me. I can see the bird standing there. And all of a sudden, he, and he had to have been like five yards from the decoy. I just can't, I barely can't see the decoy. Yeah. So he stops there and he's looking at the decoy. All of a sudden his um, head goes what up. Did, what did you have for a decoy at the time? I don't even know the brand like, of it. It's like a No, not old. the brand, but just hen, Jake. Oh, just a hen. Okay. Yep. It's like a 15-year-old pop-open foam hen thing that yep. I keep in yep. my nest, <laughs> you know? It yep. looks terrible. But like I said, when I'm trying to kill these things and open stuff, all I need is something for them to pay attention to until, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that... I think good decoys go a long way when you're like in a situation where they have to be close for a long time. Yeah. When I'm hunting the way that I hunt, it's normally a single bird coming in and, or or maybe two, but like, I'm, I'm not setting up, let's put it this way. I'm not going to set up a decoy in a situation where there's, there's hend up toms. Because number one, it probably won't work. Number two, you got to stay really mobile on those birds because they're moving the whole time. Yeah. And really, the only way you're going to kill them is by getting ahead of them and calling them like 20 yards off the flock. Not, he's not going to come in. Yeah. And then yeah. also, those hens could also maybe think there's something weird about the decoy. So I, I just never use one unless it's like, you know, there's a fired up tom, but there's too much open space. You need something for them to look at. So that's what what I did. And it was working because he was standing five yards in front of the decoy for about like 30 minutes, 30 seconds a minute at this point. And then he, he sticks his head up and all of a sudden his snood, like you were saying, his snood kind of like tightens up on top of his head and he putts. And I'm like, well, shit. And I look over and my, my partner is still, he, he doesn't have his gun on his shoulder still. And I'm like, dude, that turkey's gotta be 25 yards from me. Like, I know you like heard it and saw it. Like, why do you not have your gun up? Mm-hmm. So I look back and he's putting. And I'm like, okay, he's putting. Like, let me try to call. Maybe he'll spin and he can move his gun or something. So I call and he does the whole like, he's like putting and he gobbles and immediately putts against like, <laughs> like he like had to gobble. It's like one of those where he like shot gobbled. Like he had to gobble. Yeah, but, he but he's still, alert. Yeah, but he still was like, didn't know what was happening. So then he turns and he's starting to kind of wander away nervous. And I'm like 35 yards, look over, hunting partner doesn't have his gun up. I'm like, okay, well, shit, I got to shoot, you know, like this turkey, like when you hear a putt, you don't have much time. Yeah. And so he started wandering away and I don't know how this happened, but I must've been just rushed shot because of the situation and thinking that he was going to shoot. And then I decided I need to shoot right now. And I had it on my knee, and I don't know what happened or if it was just a bad shot, but I totally missed. Like, a shot, he, he jumps up, flies like two yards, lands again. Then my partner shoots, misses, and he runs and takes off and flies away. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell just happened? So I got up and walked over to him. I'm like, well, I didn't really try to mean to shoot your bird out from under you, but like, what, what, 
what I didn't was going see your on. Gun up. What was going on? And he's like, well, I'm like, did you see him coming in? And he's like, yeah, I could see him from like 70 yards away coming from when he flew down off the tree. I'm like, well, why didn't you have your gun up? And he's like, well, I was in like a lane when he was getting close and I knew I didn't have a tree behind me. So I was silhouetted. So I was waiting for him to walk behind a tree and pull up and then shoot him. And I was like, I didn't say this to him, but I was kind of thinking in my head, like, if you have a turkey flying down from a tree within a hundred yards gobbling his head off, you should have your gun on your knee. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know why you're waiting around for to bring your gun up. Like, I, I feel like that's a pretty rookie turkey hunter mistake. Um, and I mean, he's hunted turkeys quite a bit before, but different than I do. And um, but I don't know, like, turkeys. He just, under, he just underestimated him a little bit, right? Probably. Yeah. Turkey's eyesight is like unbelievable and when they get to that close if you're going to try to move they can hear you very well like if they're within 40 yards like they can hear anything yeah they and and locational and they can see 360 around their dang head so yeah so even if they're walking away from you or even if they're behind a small tree like they can still pick something off yeah yeah for sure so that i felt bad at first but the more i think about it i'm kind of like well you didn't have your gun up so um, but anyways, we decided to drive up the hill and go to the ones that we had called at and located down there on the, the edge of private. I'm like, okay, we know there's Turk there. We know there's gobbler there, but like not ideal because, you know, we got over there, we called, we got a gobble instantly, but then we also heard a bunch of hens making a bunch of noise down there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, we got, I've seen this script before. We've got a, a couple times, bunch of hens right on the private public line. I've spent a lot of time in the turkey woods playing with birds that will not come across that line, you know. Yeah. But I'm like, it's almost well, that's like what we... they know, but they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's what we got to deal with right now. So let's go down there. And we got to this edge of timber about a hundred yard from the property line. Or we were in the timber the whole time, but it was like, you know, selective harvest. So it was very sparse. And then there were some areas of regeneration that had, you know, like those shorter pine trees that are thick that you can hide in. Yeah. So we got to the very edge. I'm like, all right, here goes nothing. Call. Boom. Like instant gobble. Call. Freaking way closer. Instant gobble. And it's like wide open. I look and all of a sudden this freaking Tom is literally like sprinting across. Sprinting across this wide open toward me. And he's doing the whole like walking fast, having to like stop and half strut, but he like doesn't think he has enough time. So he like goes back to running. <laughs> and my partner ended up just sitting, setting up to the left of me, um, about four, 30 yards. And I, I just happened to be on the side that the turkey came down, but I was also the one calling. So that's probably why he came straight to mm-hmm. me. Um, and I just shut up at the very end of it. And honestly, the shot was about as far as the one that I missed is probably maybe a slightly closer, like 30 yard shot. Yeah. Um, and that, that turkey had like really white head. But yeah, he came in like doing the whole like walking, like bobbing his head, looking around, and finally he comes like to the edge and he does one of those like cranes his neck to look around the corner, like where's the hen at, you know? And that's like Ray when I had a clear shot, boom, roasted him. And then mm-hmm. I jumped up and I yelled over, I'm like, didn't miss that one. And then all of a sudden I was like, ah, I probably shouldn't have yelled right now because like all of a sudden our ones are gobbling down there. So I'm like, yeah. okay, sat my ass down, called, boom. Our turkeys are gobbling like crazy. And then the hen too is just yelping her head off. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, I don't know if she like was like 
wondering what all the commotion was or heard heard the wings flapping because you know he's flopping on the ground there yeah. all of a sudden they all start working in and i'm thinking my partner's gonna get a shot and we we end up calling those turkeys in about 75 yards and i saw a jake and a tom spinning around out there but then they just hung up there and i think they are honestly i think they were following that lead hen who was like what happened and she because she came in first and then she went the other way and i think she was leading the flock so she I think those are yeah. those other birds were just foul on her, yeah. Um, and that ended up not working out. And the rest of the time, we kind of like got on and off birds after that for my partner. I didn't have a tag left. I kind of let him call the shots. We got another couple birds to strike up, and kind of I just let him do what he wanted to do. And we kind of maybe drove way too close to where they were gobbling from and slamming doors and loading guns and yeah. Cause I suggested walking further, but Oh, they're used to cars, you know, I'm like, I don't know about that. And used to cars, oh, but now doors slamming. Why isn't the goblin anymore? And I'm like, Oh, you know, we did just slam a car door and walk across a wide opening about 150, 200 yards from where we heard them. So, yeah. yeah true. Um, so yeah, but ended up getting my third Turkey tag filled and, um, good bird. It was a fun morning. We got on multiple birds that morning. Should have killed two. Definitely should have killed two. And we got a, a one or two more to gobble. Um, and uh, then went over to the cafe to eat the post-turkey killing breakfast for a third year in a row. Nice. Like it. Like it. Yeah. I love that place. I never. I don't. I almost feel like I can't go there unless I just shot a turkey. That's like a prerequisite to go in there. Yeah. I feel like every turkey hunt, you learn something, take home. I mean, as hunters... I feel like we develop mistakes, things we got to overcome, and it just makes us a better hunter at the end of the tunnel. But I feel like let's dive into kind of, we each killed three birds, three little takeaways from each hunt. Um, I'll start it off, I think. So, you know, an earlier podcast, I talked about our Minnesota bird that I shot. And I think the thing I took home on that was pretty much a little bit about pressure like early season you have hand up birds a decent amount of pressure especially in minnesota where you can buy any any season um and also i think what helped me in the success of that was even just cutting the distance calling calling and moving if especially with with toms with hens they're not going to move that they're not going to leave that hen group unless you're in the bubble and if you have any opportunity with uh as it pertains to a hill or any sort of um something that they can't see you and you can move in and call again and then move like that's going to lead you to success i feel like that was my take home that's what led me for um to success for that was just moving and calling putting barriers in front of me especially on a hand up tom tom's plural in that situation but should we uh should we go back and forth first bird second bird, yeah third bird? yeah i would do that yep good job right. um yep and then you go your first bird what you learned my first bird took a while like, i mean six days in the season but that's montana you know we got a lot of birds and we got all season to do it so you know just think about it like six day of your week-long season you know in the midwest um mm-hmm Got into a spot that, you know, I think I said I, I hunted previously, shot one last year, river bottom spot. They did not make any, they were gobbling their heads off in the roost. 
did not make a peep once it hit the ground. And um, sometimes, I guess what I took away from that, sometimes people think that, you know, if they're not gobbling, they're not interested in you. Because I'm calling and scratching and stuff. Hunt the bird, not the gobble. He had, there there were two toms actually. I knew there were multiple toms, but they landed. I saw the one tom come out and strut in front of me at like 75 and then disappear back into the river bottom in the thick stuff. And I moved around just slightly, and I really, a lot of me wanted to get up and try to start stalking these birds. But I was like, I don't know. They're still not gobbling. They can see a lot. I'm loud. like. So I just pivoted to the backside of this row of thick stuff and um, saw him him strutting again. And once again, I was like about to make a move on him because he was facing away and went down this little hill and about 60 yards away. And I'm like, I could dive down this little gully and get on him. But I was like... You know, I don't know. There's like a whole flock here. I'm going to get picked off by somebody. And so I just kept doing what I knew should work. I, I kept trying to persuade them that there was just one lone hen over here. And it didn't get the dominant Tom. But once again, no gobbles. All of a sudden, right in front of me, a, a, the subordinate Tom just shows up. Just comes straight on. It took about 20 minutes. It took about 20 minutes calling since they landed. It was yeah. hundred yards, but like this was after roost, right? This, or after were, after they dropped down off yeah, the roost. Yeah, fly down. The yeah, roost. they were yeah. on the roost. Yeah. Fly down twenty minutes, thirty minutes. Calling literally no zero gobbles the whole mm. time that they after they hit the ground. And uh, they were still doing their thing. It's just like understand what you're hunting and be patient. Like that's just yeah. that's just one thing that I, I'm a very impatient hunter sometimes, and like I want to do what I know works. But, so, you know, you, that only works in certain situations. If I yeah. had gotten up and tried to get in on that bird, there would have been probably like three different birds that pegged me as soon as I broke through that brush, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, patience. Patience and knowing that that works. I, and I think don't one cool t- Yeah. Don't hunt the gobble, hunt the bird. I feel like one cool thing about this is both of us are early season. You know, Montana and minnesota kind of the same situations happening where um you know you have to you got flocked up birds semi flocked up birds not not peak breeding but almost peak breeding you got birds in groups where it's like they have their morning routine they fly down off of that roost those toms have an area where they strut they do their thing they mingle with their toms for a few hours before they seek other things. Because I was seeing in Minnesota, um, those birds, those hens too, weren't bre- breaking off of those flocks till 10, 9, 10 o'clock. And they were going getting water or whatever. So that is the pivotal point where that tom might actually break off of that group and go seeking other, other hens that they heard that were you. But that they heard, and I mean, that's, I feel like a great take home for early season. I mean. Yeah, being patient. I don't even think it was to that point on my hunt, though. I mean, like, it was, I was, I was in the bubble. I was in the bubble. Yeah, yeah. And and you just, it was thick enough in there that I couldn't see where they were. But also, every once in a while, in that early season stuff, if you're not hearing gobbles, sometimes you'll hear a, listen for that spitting. Yeah, yeah. 
like the drum so, and spitting. Sometimes they don't gobble, but you can. They're still yeah. making noise, and yeah, you you're gonna be really close if you can hear that. But yeah, yeah, I, so, I, I, I'm with you. I think once you break that bubble, they don't gobble. They won't gobble because they know you're close, and all they just do is drum and spit. At that That's time of the do. season. At that at time of the yeah, season. Yeah. yeah. But we'll roll into later in the season. Well, let's see. Let's you do your other bird because that was earlier, right? Yeah. Your second yeah, so bird. I was shot earlier. one. I shot one April twenty first. Mm-hmm. That was that one I just talked about. Then I shot one. I think. May second or something like that. Um, and that was the one I talked about where uh, I, I missed that one that I was working all morning and I didn't leave fifty yards from his respot. And then I went on to this next one after hitting a bunch of different birds, and um, he he was uh, straight up called him up the ridge. Um, I mean, like goblin is freaking hell. This is eleven a.m. And I get in on him and I work him. And it was one of those where it was kind of like you were almost thinking you were calling too much, but he was just going so hard at every noise I made. So I just kept him really fired up. And I guess I got to a little bit of a crescendo with calling and he was coming. And then as soon as I heard him break, right? Because he was strutting in this certain little zone about 60, 70 yards from me because I heard him gobbling and moved in that close. And then I was calling and he would gobble at every single noise I made. And then finally, like, when you get to, like, back and forth, like, call, gobble, call, gobble, call, like, get them really fired up. And then you just kind of back off and, like, wait. And then it was like, well, is she still there? You know? And then all of a sudden, he's coming closer and closer. And that's the one where he had his little head over the log like a freaking whack-a-mole. And I missed. And then he yeah. jumped up there and I shot him. But, um, I think the thing that I would take home from that hunt the most is habitat and location that was probably five or 600 feet above the valley floor and nobody was hunting up there. And I located slash saw nine, 10, 10 different gobblers between that evening and that morning. Like, and, and it, but like that evening before I saw two in the bottom and another person saw them cause he, we talked and he wanted to hunt the ones that he saw go to roost. But I went up to that higher spot on a whim that night, roosted one up there, hunted that yeah. one, missed. Then went up, three other gobblers strutting on a ridge top, couldn't get them to budge. Like I got, I crawled within 80 yards of them, but I couldn't get them to budge. Then I saw two other gobblers across that ridge coming back over at like 10 in the morning gobbling at me. So that's six that morning already. Then I parked trying to go behind that ridge to get on those two I saw. And then two more going off on the other ridges across the canyon from where I parked. Holy so that's shit. 10 different or eight different gobblers that morning in that area. So it's almost like uh, bear hunting or elk hunting or whatever. It's like elevation played a part in that. I don't know if it was because of feet or whatever. I think that they like roosting on those tops and they kind of move around throughout the day. But um, the top, because it's very steep country in that area and the tops of those ridges is where they like to display and normally, like you were saying, more in the middle, late morning, because they already kind of got, they, they know what's going on with the other hens and they're probably not receptive. So then if they don't find something to like, they're going straight to these areas mm. where they can call and everybody can hear them and where they can strut in circles and everybody can see them coming up onto that hill. And they can also see things 
danger coming, you know, on those spines. Um, but that would be just a habitat thing and being in the right place. Cause most people I would think would drive into that bottom, Like, and I did this the first time drive into that bottom, drive that road about a mile back and forth in the bottom call from the road. And if you didn't hear much, you'd probably either hunt it or get out of there. Mm. But yeah. I drove up that road another mile and a half, 600 feet above in steep country that most people would be like, turkeys don't run around in that stuff. And it was like fantastic turkey, ha- turkey habitat. And they were everywhere. But I just think people so don't. Would you, would you take a, take home, especially in the mountain areas, like maybe snow line or like that, you know, that habitat changes where those turkeys are at a certain stage in early season, especially with snow melt. Was that the case? Those no, new I, sprouting greens or they were focused on or anything? I don't or? think it was a food thing because like that was a south facing entire side of that like drainage and there was stuff to eat top to bottom. And that's where I took Caleb three weeks mm-hmm. later and killed one exactly the same spot. Uh, so they were hanging yeah. out. Yeah. Um, I think it's just like they occupy ha- it, it, there. It is early season, I would say. But once things are really starting to green up, I think they just move around a lot. Yeah, so bird, bird number two, definitely like habitat and going where the birds want to be and not where people think the birds want to be. Because um, that, that just produced the first time I was in there, it produced the year before, even though I went to one spot and killed mine, so I left. I really hadn't explored the whole area because I filled my tag. But like this year, I went in there and had to hunt it actually because I missed. But um, it, it's just amazing turkey hunting in there. The habitat's great, and I think people don't associate high elevation not high elevation, high off the valley floor and r- really steep stuff. I don't think people associate that with turkeys and they, they love it. So that was my takeaway from that. Be open to new things and go for where the birds want to be. Okay. Yeah. So we'll transition into mine. Uh, my second bird, second bird. I think the main takeaway is you know, like the later seasons, fourth season, third season in the uh, upper Midwest and also probably in Montana is probably the most, one of the, is not the most successful, but it's, it could be like a dark horse. You know, in Minnesota, 40% of the harvest comes from the first season, but also 20% of that harvest comes from the third season. So it's like, that is kind of a dark horse where it harvest goes up first season down and then up again, third, fourth season. And I feel like watching these turkeys, you see their encompassing home ranges just get bigger. So early season, they're in those little small routines where they fly down. We're talking about right now, they fly down, they strut, they stay with their hens. They branch out a little bit, not a big home range. Now, you got nesting hens, all these nesting areas. It's kind of like rut whitetails. You got these doe bedding areas, and all these toms are making their patterns. Boom, they're to that ridge top, to that ridge top. Their encompassing home ranges are a lot bigger, and then they're, they're also um, a lot needier, kind of, slash desperate, really, at this point. Um, because the one, the one bird I shot, my second bird, I shot the one tom, kind of saw him in that same routine and then also I went there the next day saw him in that same routine and I'm like there's a pattern that bird at this time is doing the same loop every probably day 
You know, he's going to this spot, to this spot, to this spot. And, I mean, I think you're there's kind of a dark horse there that later season, um, as it pertains to Montana, Wisconsin, all that stuff. Just because there's plenty of science out there that says pressure has a, a very high impact on turkey behavior and turkey movement. And at this point, I feel like everybody's out catching walleyes and <laughs> summertime is broken. Um, they're out testing out the boat. They got the garden going, all this stuff. And sure, everybody's talking about yourself. <laughs> I, I do that and hunt turkeys, but, <laughs> but all that. And then I will say, my dad said, he's like, you know, there's going to be mosquitoes out there. Well, yeah, he's right. The mosquitoes are freaking treacherous but <laughs> but um but if you're willing to fight it you might have some of the best turkey and there is so that was my take home from number two um, what about number from three? number two we'll go into number three number three i just think historical record man i mean you know the land you know the history on that stuff if it, it pertains to public to private i mean in my fact i was lucky enough to hunt private but it was just knowing the area. You look at, you look at everything. You got, you know what was going on at that point. You have food. You have also food there. We live in sand country in Wisconsin. You got sand. They could sand and sun. We've had a record winter, so the winter broke um, pretty late. So they want to sit in that sun, probably sit there and strut all day long in that field, eating the green um, green stuff. And then all of a sudden goes through this pinch point to this um, uh, roosting area. It just it just laid out. I was just checking one facet of that whole thing that I've seen historically year after year. I've never shot a turkey off of it, but um, I just thought that was it. And just listen to your historical data and what you've seen and how they lose that use that landscape and yeah. And that was that was a big take home on that bird. But that's a little segue into my third bird, where I always go to the same spot in early mid May and end up eating at that diner. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, the uh, I'll do a little. I'll do a takeaway from two birds. The first one with the miss communication with your partner is big time. We didn't have communication. Well, and also. Always have your gun up if there's a turkey. Go if you can hear a turkey gobbling that's cutting distance, have your gun up pointed at where that thing is coming from. Because I mean, yeah, yeah Larry, you can Larry's little... taught me that at a young age. He's like, have your knee up, have your gun in that zone where you think it, it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And while well, in in my, I don't know if I did it right, but in my circumstance, I had a camera too. I had those turkeys. I had my gun up where they're going to be. And in a circumstance, I had to swing. I did nothing subtle, swung. He popped his head, put it on him, and shot. Yeah, and you probably so got, you away, to, you got away with that because you had a good shot when you got on him. But if, if you have to do that and you don't get a good shot, true, probably not gone. a good situation. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you, you know what you're doing. You know what to look for. You probably knew you could get away with that. But I would say, in general, from that miscommunication – First of all, communicate, but second of all, um, just be ready as soon as you can 
I had to tell my dad that too when he started bow hunting. One time he had an opportunity that kind of got away from him because he didn't he didn't pick his bow up off the hook until the deer was within a hundred yards. You know, it's like I told him I'm like if there if I see a deer coming in through my even if it's a doe I I grab it's like sooner than later even if it seems like they might be able to see you from a hundred yards off like make that small movement then and grab it because if it gets closer they can see better and they can even hear you. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, just be ready. Just be ready, and then yeah, play play everything through. Like, what's gonna? What do you think anticipatory is gonna happen? Play all that through, and yeah, it's hard hard to think. But yeah, the only time I would say it's hard to get your bow or your gun in your hand early if you first see an animal is if it's like really cold out because then your hands get frozen. But yeah, yeah. um. Then the, the one that I shot out of that situation, I think my take home with that would be I need to start bear hunting early in the season and leave the turkey hunting to late in the season because yeah. we just drew that bird out of that flock like nothing. And then Caleb and I did the same thing a week later. And then the bear hunting sucked because the, the vegetation and the heat. Yep. And I'm like, well, if I would have flip-flopped that and bear hunted in uh, late April, mid-April, and then turkey hunted in early May, mid-May, probably would have had a lot more turkeys just bolt over to me and would probably would have seen more bears. Yeah. <laughs> That's I might actually try that. I, I won't because I'm a turkey freak. I'm going to still go when I can go. But I, I'd almost like, do that. I like the amount of hunts I went on in April that ended up in just chasing turkeys around and not getting a shot versus the ones in May where you just pull up and call and then boom, they're coming in, you know? Well, like my take home, I feel like later seasons don't underestimate them. If you still want to hunt turkeys, you think it's too green, you know, it's late in the season, they're already dead. I mean, that's some of your best hunting. I've heard it, and I'm, we're re- reiterating it on this podcast, but that's some of the best hunting. Because in my circumstance, those turkeys were hunted early. They definitely were on private and all this stuff. My you know, family friends hunted our family property, and friends of my buddy hunted their property. But they were just not hunted for two, three weeks, and they just went back to being turkeys. Yeah, but I also think a lot of it is that those hens have been bred and they're kind of getting into like yeah, third week of November, second, third week yeah. of November, rucktail kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. or whitetail, not rucktail, rucktail, that's a good yeah. word. Um, yeah. But like, it, yeah, it's kind of, it's almost like, it is almost like deer hunting where it's like you're hunting mid-October, that's going to be, you need to be on your game to yeah. kill a deer at that time. You wait till the second week of November, anybody can go out there and shoot one if they get lucky (laughs) shit who knows yeah thanks everybody for listening to the storied podcast you can follow us on instagram at storied podcast official where we have all our recipes all about the podcast and all about what we're up to on next week's episode we're going to get everybody together and talk from montana colorado minnesota wisconsin illinois everybody together and talk how we all shared great hunt in wyoming chasing antelope also all the success all the shenanigans all the cooking it's all going to be on next week's episode wyoming and antelope with a bunch of good friends stay tuned